geopolitics and empire is joined by Vitislav Kremlik, who hails from the Czech Republic. During studies of history at the university, he was fascinated by the way how climate change affected human history. It was uh, usually the cold periods that caused the trouble. Uh, as a PhD student at Charles University, um, he studies sociology of post-normal science, the postmodern mix of science and politics. He's a frequent guest of Czech radio and television programs dealing with climate change. He was recently uh, interviewed by Mark Morano uh, on TNT Radio, uh, my colleague there, Mark, and he lives in Prague. He's married. He's a father. Uh, he's the author of this book, A Guide to the Climate Apocalypse, which you must buy. Uh, welcome, Vitislav. Hello. It's I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for uh, taking the time. And, you know, I'd like you to be uh, on this episode, uh, our guide through the climate uh, apocalypse. And um, so you're going to kind of help take us through what's what's really going on regarding the climate uh, narrative. And uh, you know, maybe we'll start. You say that the Earth's climate has always been changing, uh, indeed. And you know, you're, you're very nu nuanced in your approach. And uh, I believe you make the case that you know, neither is it false that we are experiencing heightened climate uh, activity or, or issues, but neither is it the end of the world as we know it, or you know, man's fault. So, can you help us make sense of what's what's going on? Well, um, I'm afraid the the problem with this narrative is that the mainstream falsely claims that there are climate change deniers. Although I'm a climate change skeptic and I've spoken to many of like-minded people, I have never met any climate change denier. There are some people who deny or um, underestimate the greenhouse effect, but nobody ever has denied the existence of climate change. So this is at the very core of the debate, there is misinformation, but uh, from the mainstream. Uh, when, uh, they, when the activists say that climate change is uh, coming or that it's already occurring and that it's real, these are pointless statements that nobody disputes and that mean nothing because everybody knows uh, that climate has warmed, has been warming since the mid-19th century. You can see it in the Alps, where the glaciers have uh, melted and have become much smaller. Nobody is disputing that. The dispute is about the, the, the future, about the apocalyptic predictions of doomsday coming. And the dispute is whether the current climate is, is unusual in historical context, whether it's unprecedented and who has caused it, how much we have caused it, and how much it's a natural cycle. One of the things that uh, are important from my point of view, that there are climate cycles that have been shaping history of mankind and nature over thousands and millions of years. Uh, my favorite cycle, one of the most important, is the bonds, are the bond events, which occur every, let's say, one and a half thousand years. And uh, this is why we have, this is why global warming started in the 19th century, uh, because such a cooling event, one of the bond events ended, this little ice age ended. So of course, when event like that ends, there always is warming. And that was natural event when it started. We can dispute how much we have made it bigger, but... The, the basic dispute is not about what the mainstream claims. 
A message from our sponsors. It seems we're headed for economic collapse, a dystopian social credit system, even another world war. As a longtime expat myself, I've secured multiple passports, getaway locations, foreign financial accounts, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. Mikhail Thorup of the Expat Money Show can help you do the same and become great reset proof. He's hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim your freedom in a time of upheaval and uncertainty by moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. Themes include securing your Plan B safe haven, offshore banking, decentralized finance, second passports, and much more. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy eating bug burgers in your smart city. If you do find yourself stuck in a smart city, the Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in English and Spanish, so hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. And don't forget to fund geopolitics and empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. Yeah, and um, you've mentioned as well, you know, if it wasn't for past global warming, many places would not be uh, inhabited, like my hometown, uh, which is Chicago or, or Canada or, or Sweden and, and so on. Uh, you've also said that I think we are now entering into uh, one of the colder times in, in history. Uh, again, some people call this the solar minimum um, and as well. They, they talk about global cooling. So uh, as, as you've said, you know, we were warming. We're always warming and cooling and warming and cooling. It's just that now they're trying to, I think, use this as a pretext to take uh, political control. But uh, just on that note of, of cooling, are, are we now entering into a cooling period uh, as well? I am not as bold uh, as to make predictions because uh, if we have learned anything from the climate change alarmism, always fail in this in this matter. In you know, in nineteen seventies, they. Uh, didn't the science didn't for a long time believe that the climate was really cooling and uh, when finally it became evident that there is a very large cooling event after world war ii there were there were 30 years of very significant cooling in the northern hemisphere after world war ii and at the very moment when the mainstream acknowledged that this was really happening in spite of greenhouse gases uh, at the very moment the warming period started so you had some again, some 30 years of warming. And when it became a warming panic in the 1990s, thanks to, thanks, thanks to the IPCC, which was started to handle this, this global warming, at the very moment when it became a campaign, so the warming halted, it stopped for a whole generation. Uh, there was no statistically significant warming anywhere. So whenever you make these bold predictions, they always like something else happened. So don't ask me for predictions. Uh, this this is one of the most important things here because the the globalists, uh, those people who want to do the global governments, they always make some scary predictions, and uh, they use it as a pretext for promoting some regulations. Like we are going to scare you with some terrible doomsday prediction, and if you give us more power and money, we will protect you. 
so let's 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 avoid bold predictions. Yeah, and and again, some other points you make in your book. And, and by the way, it's a, yeah, I, I love the way you uh, made the book. It's very easy to read, um, and so I, again, I, I highly recommend it. And you know, I, I recall learning about the the medieval warm period where a thousand years ago it was warmer than it is today. You mentioned how temperature now is similar to that of previous centuries, like 16th and 17th century, and that mankind had experienced abrupt climate change at times when no industry um, existed. So it's like now, you know, they're trying to blame us and our industry when in the past there were greater changes without this um, industry. Uh, and as well, you talk about the impact of climates on uh, migration, uh, the economy, uh, economic collapse, and and civilizations. That that climate has determined the fate of of empires. I, I also got this book here, very thick, but it talks about mm. war, war, climate, and catastrophe in the 17th century. Uh, basically, along the same lines of what you were saying, how mm. cli climate affects civilization. So, could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, this is. I know. Speaking of 17th century, okay. So today we are told that the climate that used to be here before 20th century was normal, and that if we deviate from that, we are moving away from normal into something that's weird and not normal. But it's totally crazy because we are we have been emerging from little ice age, and little ice age, especially the 17th century, the Mounder minimum. It was the coldest damn period since the time that the mammoth extinction occurred. It was the coldest time in 10,000 years. That really was extreme, like a real extreme period. Very unusual in the context of 10,000 years. And now that this extreme has ended, we should be worried about it. It is really crazy. Uh, even if we mention, again, the post-war cooling period, so people were worried in 1970s uh, about the cooling because every change of climate brings some some sort of extreme weather or bad weather. Uh, there is always some bad weather, okay? And people were worried about cooling at that time. So shouldn't we be relieved when this cooling ended and was replaced with warming? So the point is that the policymakers and even some uh, politically charged scientists they always look at the, the weather disasters, which always happen, no matter what, and they always blame it on something in the 1970s during the cooling. So uh, the drought periods, floods, and storms were blamed on cooling. And now the, exactly the same events are blamed on warming. So it's a little bit crazy. Like whatever happens is always caused by the thing that is now fashionable, you know, and you can see how even science and scientists are slaves to these fashions or political doctrines, and they do not uh, exist far away from the medding crowd in some uh, ivory towers. They are part of a society and they are affected by all the superstitions that is floating around. It's just like, you know, in the 17th century, in 18th century, people like Isaac Newton believed in astrology because it was a fashion of the day. And now we have good scientists who believe in the doomsday thing because it's the fashion of the day. But uh, we shouldn't do this because this doomsday feelings, this apocalyptic uh, belief, it is detrimental to your well-being, to your mental health. 
just if you look at the Swedish girl, Greta Thunberg, and people like her, I believe that many of them are true believers, okay? Some of them are just career-hungry hypocrites, of course, but I believe that there are people who are generally worried because they see something on the news and they believe the propaganda and they really can grow up worrying about the future because if you believe the apocalyptic narrative, so you have no future. Uh, by the way, this has been important negative uh, feature of the, the whole green movement. I recall that even Sir Karl Popper, this uh, sociologist was, uh, the, who defined uh, what scientific method is, so he was an important figure in defining what science means, and he commented in 70s, long time ago, that his uh, main complaint about the green movement is how pessimistic they are. And their slogan, even in 1970s, was no future. We have no future because of environmental problems. And we still have this feeling. And it's not good. It's pointless. And most of all, it is in contradiction with the facts. If you look at objective indicators like malnutrition, so the success is unbelievable. I can't believe when I hear the numbers. Malnutrition, the number of hungry people in the world, has been falling dramatically even in the recent decades, even in the recent 30, 30 years, the numbers are still going up, even though we have got more people than ever, now more than 7 billion people, right? But fewer and fewer people in absolute numbers, as well as percentage, live in hunger. We have fewer people than 100 years ago who die because of uh, weather disasters. Over 90% less people die in weather disasters in spite of booming population. So we are living in a world which is safer than it used to be before global warming or before industrialization. This world has become better. And yet we have got this tremendous apocalyptic negativism. It's totally irrational. And, and something again, interesting in your book um, that, that was uh, that I'm only now starting to learn about is how, um, as you say, these people are saying that we are causing all these problems, but uh, you give examples from, you know, I think Vikings in, in Greenland and the Mayan civilizations and other civilizations where, or, or in Egypt where, you know, it was cooling that came that caused droughts that forced civilizations to collapse. Um, or, you know, you know the, the, where basically the climate that's out of, outside of our control changed uh, and that forced um, these civilizations to collapse. You mentioned the Roman Empire uh as well being affected by the climate and and the, the amount of food that could be grown again outside of our control uh and then as well like you know what, what is driving that climate I, I i i see it as the sun you know people like pierce corbin uh and i spoke to uh meteorologist joe bastardi not long ago who both agree that it's basically like the solar cycle and things like that outside of our control you know, put influencing all, all of this, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Well, uh, I studied history, so I started to, to be interested in this matter because I was curious uh, what causes these great events in history. Because if you look at the timing of various events, 
So some of them seem coming at sort of regular periods coming back and back. And whether it's a coincidence or not, it, it the timing looks pretty similar to the timing of these climate changes. Uh, I don't know, in the Stone Age, in the recent glacial period, all these great Stone Age cultures, they ended at the time of, this, of, the, of the great cooling events called Heinrich events. Uh, nobody knows about it. Nobody writes about it. But this is, this is in my eyes, so important as if climate change has been the pulse of history, you know, destabilizing the civilizations and cultures and enforcing some change so people need to adapt because you know, the old systems are destroyed and new ideas get some opportunity to grow. So it, it seems like that to me. Uh, I don't know if there's enough time to mention that, but one of the people who noticed that uh, without understanding the problem was the German philosopher Karl Jaspers in the 1930s or 40s. And he noticed that all the great religions of today were born around the 6th century before Christ. Just count with me, okay? Which re world religions started around this century? Confucianism, Lao Tzu, Taoism, uh, the Greek uh, natural uh, science, and the Jewish monotheism. All these great, and Buddhism, of course, all these great uh, ideological systems that replaced polytheism started sort of in the same time across across whole Euro-Asian continent. It's really weird. Why would these events be timed at the same time? They didn't have a lot of contact with each other. So Carlo Jaspers didn't have, of course, any explanation. He just uh, called this period Achsenzeit, the Axis period, and this has become a famous term in philosophy, but they don't know an explanation. One of the explanations that's possible is that the timing coincides with great climate change event that preceded. And there was this cooling at the beginning of the Iron Age at the time, you know, similar to the times uh, when the War of Troy happened and these migrations of sea people that attacked Egypt and so on. So it's one of the ways how to explain events that had similar timing across large space. So this is what I considered interesting. Uh, natural vision tried to explain everything in history by climate change only, that would be foolish. But I think it is probably one of uh, quite significant influences. And now all what we have learned is somehow turned upside down. And what we hear from the news is the exact opposite of what we have learned. So now we should be afraid of warming or cooling and Everything is sort of weird, so that when you watch the news, you can't believe your ears what you hear, and it has become the new normal. Yeah, and and I, I wanted to ask you then about uh, these elites, which you write about in your book as well. You you explain, uh, you know, they're pushing this green agenda, and they are racist and they are uh, eugenicists. I've got some of their books, you know, Paul Ehrlich, uh, the Population uh, ex Explosion. I got it for like 30, 30 Mexican pesos at a used bookstore here. And, uh, you know, of course, the Club of Rome, right? <laughs> and so um, you, you detail in your book how, um, I mean, you were giving an example of how they, they were kicking off an African tribe uh, off their land that's been on that land for who knows how long uh, because they, they made it into a nat nature reserve. And it's like, you made the point, well, it's a good point. Like, well, those 
that tribe is a part of nature and biodiversity. You know, like they're separating, you know, only animals and plants, but humans, you know, as as well. And um, you know, what what is the real agenda and, and the danger uh, of these elites behind the climate change narrative and, and policies? I mean, you mentioned before global government. That for me is the the biggest focus. I I think they want to create a centralized global political structure to control the whole world. Uh, you know, what's your take on what are their motivations? Well, I think this is a natural development, okay? You don't need any conspiracy theory about it. Like, if you look at what companies do, so of course, unlike uh, unlike a century ago, now companies start their branches abroad. So they've got their subsidiaries in other countries and they build multinational chains. That's a natural development. But the political power also tries to do the same thing. They try to maximize the power, uh, start their branches overseas, and they want to create some umbrella structure above nation states. And uh, you've got structures like European Union and United Nations, which, of course, we started for certain purpose. We They had to serve certain specific purpose. But, uh, you know, when you create a bureaucratic organization like that, it will always take its own life, you know, like when you create some fictional character and it starts having life of its own and you lose control over what it's doing. So the bureaucratic uh, organization like that necessarily will start finding areas or excuses for boosting its power and budget and naturally, climate change is a great issue or the environmental things are a great thing because it, uh, it is uh, something that doesn't respect national borders. So you can claim, and we all know, we have all heard that, that global problems require global solutions. So naturally, that's a great excuse to take all power away from national parliaments and give it over to some international organizations. Do you, do you think the elites are succeeding or will succeed in their push for you know global domination or or or, or world government or as they call it global governance? And I am no prophet. I can just tell you that whatever people think will happen, something else will always happen. Okay, so I don't think that they are omniscient, omnipotent people. Everything that's happening has been planned by them. Uh, what I believe instead is that they always use any crisis that happens uh, as an excuse. We, there is a problem. We need more regulation. I don't think they created COVID crisis, but whenever something like that happens, they always come with the same suggestions. They are always the same answer to everything. You need to create some more international oversight committees. You need to create more rules, limit individual freedoms. It's always the same thing, whatever happens, uh, never mind what it is. And uh, again, it is logical. Like when you have powerful people, of course, they want to have uh, more influence. Everybody wants to have more influence. So that is a logical event. Uh, and maybe, maybe that people like the population sooner or later will find some means to compete for power with the elites. Like I think it started with the businesses that created these international branches and multinationals, and the politicians didn't know what to do about it. How can you regulate something that has is everywhere and nowhere? You know, 
But then they started building international political structures that are now everywhere, and they are trying to dictate us what we should do about weather and energy and everything. The, pros, the, the battle is not over, right? So I don't know where it will lead. Mm-hmm. And the people will have to find some way to organize themselves in some international police or to revive the power of nation states. I, I really don't have the answer, definitely mm-hmm. not. But I think we will be all surprised. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about then uh, energy, because um, you talk about it in the book. Um, do you think from your research that we have, because this has always been a question on my mind, and I talk to experts from different walks of life, and I, I still can't make up my mind. Uh, do we have enough energy, oils, oil, minerals, and, and resources for the foreseeable future? Uh, because they're saying that we're running out of, uh, everything and as you said, doomsday. It's the end of the world. But uh, I'm kind of skeptical uh, on that. You mentioned things like uh, you know we have coal for at least a century, uh, and you know what are your thoughts on on the limits uh, to growth or limits to to energy in in reality? As far as the numbers we have now say, we have got enough fossil fuels for one or two or three centuries, depending on which fossil fuel you are referring to and also you've got nuclear power and you can create a lot of energy from really really tiny amount of uh, uranium so uh, i believe that if nuclear power is perfected if we learn how to use thorium and and other elements we could have nuclear power for ten thousand years right this is also a few people know that uh, whenever somebody is warning about peak something like peak oil, he always referred to Mr. Hubert, who predicted peak peak oil in in fifties. He predicted it would come some 20, 20 years later. Everybody is quoting that, but hardly anybody mentions that in the same essay, in the same work, he proposed that we can handle that by substituting that with nuclear power. And the green people don't say that. They just want about peak oil without mentioning the logical next uh, step in, in that. And that's sort of, we have been running out of fossil fuels since 1910, you know, because always, every time you can say that you, uh, you, you know only of some areas where the minerals are deposited but you don't know about all of them that will ever in the future be discovered you don't know what 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 things will be discovered a century later so that any predictions like that are always wrong and this is basically what uh, the club of rome's famous book limits to growth was about. They made silly predictions based on limited information, and they predicted that we would run out of oil by 1992, and so on. And the predictions, of course, were not fulfilled because of, you know, they didn't know what would be discovered later. So this is the problem with any predictions. Uh, I think I also mentioned the funny story of the horse manure crisis from the late 19th century. I don't know if anybody has heard about it, but I discovered that in late 19th century, there was first international conference about 
urbanism about the future of cities. And do you know what they were discussing that? They were worried that in the 20th century, in the 21st century, they were worried that the cities would have tremendous problems with thousands and thousands of horses and horse manure. Because at their times, everything was, you know, transport of goods, transport of passengers, everything except a few except for a few trains, everything was powered by horses. And they were very about the future. They made their scientific extrapolations and predictions, and they were very puzzled and they didn't know what to do about it. And they didn't expect that cars will replace horses. And that's this very important lesson because the problems that we are trying to handle now in 50 years future will probably it will play out completely differently than we think because you don't know what will be invented 10 years later and that's that's the memo this is the problem with all these united nations or european union they are trying to make five year plans like the soviets or 50 year plans or 100 year plans what the future of energy will be it is such silly it's just like some silly scene from Monty Python Circus. You can't predict these things. A single invention can change everything in 10 years overnight. This is really silly. The point is that uh, their solutions for climate change and energy that they are proposing right now to be done with present means, that they don't make any sense, that they don't work, they don't have the effect on the climate they would like to have, right? So this is pointless, and their predictions are pointless too. So you, you talk about nuclear, you talk about Chernobyl, Fukushima, and how the threat is is hyped. Uh, you know, you, you give some numbers how very few people died or were affected by the Chernobyl uh, disaster in the eighties, and um, I've also become a little bit dismissive uh, of this hype because uh, not long ago I lived in Semey, Kazakhstan, which is right next to. The polygon, the Soviet, the principal Soviet nuclear test site where they dropped over 500 nukes, um, and mm -hmm. you know, in in the surrounding areas, yes, the, I mean, there were no doubt people uh, affected negatively with you know genetic issues, uh, cancers, and things like that. But you know, I was surprised when I visited Ground Zero. The scientists who took me, like we, we didn't need any protection. We went in one hour, two hours, and it wasn't until we got to just to just a small area where the actual nuke dropped. We had to put on some protection and stay just mm -hmm. for a, for a few minutes. But you know, outside of it, that immediate area, we didn't need any protection. And it just it seems like the 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 scare around nuclear energy uh, is is uh, hyped. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, definitely you could theoretically have very destructive nuclear disasters somewhere. But what happened at Chernobyl, definitely people have very, very untrue ideas about. Uh, people's idea about the huge impact it had, these ideas as far as population impact, this, this idea is taken or this impression is because of the huge number of people who were resettled because when the thing happened, so the authorities resettled, I don't know, some 5 million people, like huge territory 
uh, was uh, affected by the measures that were taken later. So the people had to go away. Huge area was, you know, people had to, had to leave, and these were really huge numbers. But it's not the number of people with affected health. The people who died at Chernobyl directly, those who were into, who went into the building to, to stop the leaks, and there were about five people who had to go to the very core of the problem, and they died quite soon, within, within I don't know, months. But the rest of the people, about 200,000 people, they they uh, they were affected by the rates to about, I don't know, it was something about one year of attending a normal standard, uh, some radiation therapy, if you go to the hospital, perfect, but relatively safe. And the, the only real, that was clearly significant in the statistics is that a lot of children had problems with thyroid glands, but these problems were treatable. So almost nobody died, but they had to be treated for these problems. Uh, that is all. So it's not zero, but it's definitely it's not apocalyptic um, landscape filled with terrible mutants, as people tend to think. You know, it's, when you look at a Simpson series, there is always this little fish with three eyes swimming in the in the pool of nuclear waste. So this is how people think that animals look around Chernobyl. They don't. Uh, so our ideas about what happened are mostly taken from some science fiction. You know, it's it's mostly science fiction. It doesn't mean that nuclear power cannot backfire, but this is not what happened. And the hype has been detrimental to the green energy effort because thanks to this uh, hype, Western civilization has stopped building new power plants. So the nuclear energy output has been going down steadily for decades. So thanks to these green anti-nuclear policies, we have been having less and less clean zero carbon energy over decades. So if about two years ago, when we had this uh, Extinction Rebellion people and this Greta Thunberg people and this Fridays for Future, and they were parading and some demonstrations and they were shouting that the politicians the politicians failed us you didn't defend our future you didn't do enough you are to blame that we do not have enough green zero carbon energy it's not true it was them it was the green movement who caused that the very same people who are marching in this in, in the streets with the banners it's their own it's their own fault it was their movement who undermined uh, this uh, green energy that we had, we had really sort of zero uh, car zero carbon emissions. So this is all, you know, most of the things that you hear in the news about it, everything is sort of upside down and a little bit different than what the mainstream is telling us. And just uh, on that movement, um, I was going to ask you, it, it seems to be, a, there's a very relig religious tone or, or nature to climate change ism. I mean, I mean, it's it's kind of got, it's almost like a like a cult or or or, or a religion. Um, any thoughts on on sort of the religious nature of this movement? Where now you know on social media sometimes you'll get posts taken down if you question climate changeism. You'll lose <laughs> your you'll lose your job. There was a HSBC banker who recently questioned the hype of climate change. Who lost his uh, job. 
Uh, and any thoughts on that? Yeah, it is funny that even things like uh, marches for science actually reflect religious thinking, not scientific thinking. Okay, if you say this is a march for science, and thou shalt not question anything a science expert is going to say, but well, if you do that, you're not behaving in a scientific way. This is a religious way how to how to approach things, and there yeah, definitely uh, it does have religious overtones. And again, again, this shouldn't surprise us for several reasons. First of all, weather has always been a thing in religion. In the Aztecs, in old times, America, pre-colonial times, the Aztecs and other uh, cultures over there, they made human sacrifice to gods of rain. And they believe that if you make human sacrifice, that you might ensure good weather. We are also being today. If if you sacrifice something, we could get we could make weather uh, better, which of course doesn't work. It didn't work then, and didn't work today, for reasons I can explain later. And uh, this lack of tolerance, this lack of tolerance, of course, is very religious. You know, there was heretics and uh, dogmas that shall not be questioned. That definitely is very re- religious approach. I mean, religion in the in the negative, uh, the negative uh, sense of meaning, but uh, also the the very the very uh, part about this apocalyptism. Sorry, uh, this very thing about this apocalyptism is very religious. Uh, usually. Usually new religions, when you start small, you start small scale as a religious sect. So it's very, very frequent that they start with some very urgent message about impending doom that's coming within the lives of existing people. Actually, even, you know, even when Jesus came, so there are some, some sentences in, in the New Testament that appears as if the people believed that the end of the world would come during their lives. So this is very frequent. It's doomsday thinking. When we have Jehovah's Witnesses they, or, or the um, Adventists of the Seventh Day, they all started with making specific claims about the date when the doomsday will come. And we have got Greta Thunberg and the IPCC giving us deadlines. We are going to be done within 12 years or two years things like that, of course, it's very similar. And it comes from the same psychology. It's not a coincidence. This is what humans are used to think like. We have got thousands of years of tradition of this sort of thinking. So it's quite natural for the power elites to use this for their purposes. And there's nothing new. Actually, the more you think about it, the more boring it gets because it does just this, you know, the oldest trick in the book. And and speaking of the power uh, elites, one of the things that kind of I'm worried about is where they want to take us with this green agenda. We see Europe commi- committing economic suicide, um, you know, as a result of the Ukraine war. They're shutting, as you said, they're shutting off nuclear power plants. Uh, now, you know, people will they're talking about people freezing in the future, uh, the, the prices of energy going um, up. And it's like these elites want us all to live 
as middle-aged serfs in the neo-techno-feudal society of severe austerity and sort of living life permanently under war conditions and, and rationing and, and something else that they've been talking about, you know, there's that. And on the other hand, it seems like the COVID pandemic and climate are, are coming together. They're talking about climate lockdowns now. And my biggest fear is this digital kind of dystopia that, that they want to build uh, based on this fear that you're talking about, you know, this sort of carbon social credit system where we're all going to have these digital passports and um, you're going to be graded. And if you don't behave, you know, they're going to shut off your um, privileges. Uh, any thoughts on on what they're trying to do here? Uh, yeah, it, it looks like the way where it's heading, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know what, what will happen with that. Uh, I'm afraid that usually it's not the ordinary people who revolt, you know. Ordinary people are not very revolutionary in most societies. This is why the, why the feudal system lasted such a long time. There were no significant uprisings anywhere. Uh, I think that these systems collapse only when the ambitious members of the middle class become sort of you know annoyed with with how the system constrains them so when this austerity starts hitting and the lack of freedom starts uh, being unpleasant to this lower strata of the of the ruling class then we might have a chance that somebody will fight for us uh, up there because let's face it our national governments are not able to you know uh, resist these uh, globalist policies at all and if they do they are soon replaced by someone who is compliant so of course i don't have any miraculous uh, recipes for what to do about it so we'll see we'll see what happens but the thing is that some features about the COVID policies were really creepy like when you saw locked 10 million people locked in shanghai who cannot leave their homes because of some COVID restrictions. And you see these robot dogs barking at people in empty streets that they shall not enter the streets and they shall be, uh, they, shall, they shall remain at home. It is like just from some Black Mirror science fiction series in future, I can't believe. I'm no longer certain uh, that I'm awake or if I'm dreaming, I am no longer certain. It is so dreamlike, a lot of that, you know? Or when you have this uh, COVID passes, when you can could enter a restaurant if you were not vaccinated, like, what the hell? Like, even vaccinated people can spread uh, a disease. It's just, it's just like with any contagious disease, there can be people who... Uh, uh, do not fall ill, but they can spread uh, the disease. It's just true with any anything anywhere. So didn't make any sense. It is as if someone was testing how much we can stomach. If we accept discrimination of some disobedient individuals, it very much looks like the Chinese uh, social credit system. Very much, you know. So uh, unfortunately, China is the economic tiger of these decades and it is always the habit 
that the world is imitating those who appear economically powerful and self-confident. In the past, everybody was imitating Europe or Germany or America. Now, everybody's imitating China because it's powerful economically. And so even their totalitarian policies appear sexy. So we may end up having something like that here. And of course, it will be promoted with some very noble excuses that I'm sure it will be sugarcoated with some nice speeches about our safety, how our rules are worried about safety or something like that. It will be all very nice and peachy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, in your book, uh, you say, you said conservatives do not want to acknowledge the existence of environmental problems, as this could be an excuse to restrict trade and uh, personal freedom. Uh, at times, I've been guilty of this. Uh, if if we set aside the problem of these tyrannical, homicidal, Malthusian elites, you know, for mm-hmm. a second that we've been discussing, uh, what would you say are some of the true uh, environmental uh, issues? Uh, or problems? Well, typical, uh, what I consider to be the true environmentalism is when you have toxic pollution, which is poisoning rivers and killing animals. That, in my eyes, is this true environmentalism, that something that we should uh, protect ourselves from. Uh, I've got a little story about uh, the Russian director, Andrei Tarkovsky, very influential art director, who died because he wasn't aware of environmental problems when he was shooting his famous film, Stalker. So he was shooting this post-apocalyptic science fiction film in some uh, areas of Russia or Ukraine uh, where there were some environmental problems. He wanted some terribly looking area. So he went there without protection. And they didn't know, the crew who shot the film, they didn't know that the water they were walking in was poisoned with some pollution. They didn't know there was some radiation in that area. So a lot of them died later because of this film. This is what true environmentalism looks like. You need to protect people from from pollution like that. Uh, Aside of this, which is quite clear, is that naturally we have got fewer space for, for animals. So, of course, they are pushed away from cities. You have fewer of them, and you need to, if you want to keep some diversity, some diversity in, in, in our countries, so you should protect some of these species from extinction. Another great problem, I think, is overfishing in the oceans because, you know, it's sort of public domain where anybody can go and catch something. So nobody's responsible for anything anywhere. So this overfishing is the real thing. And uh, this is why now a lot of fish, sea fish that you actually eat, is not caught in open sea. This is actually grown in some farms at the seacoast, because otherwise we wouldn't have any left. So there are some real problems, definitely. And uh, if it wasn't uh, so covered with this ideology that people have become sick of, so we would see that there are some real technical problems of management like if you have a farm, you need to look after your resources. You, you shouldn't kill all your cows this season because then you wouldn't have any left in the next season. And I wouldn't even call it environmentalism. This, you know, is why I give it a special term. 
You just sense. need some good management of your resources, right? Why give it a special term? Why blend it? Why give it a, a color? Why say it's green or pink? It's not a just normal rational uh, management of your resources. But it is just like with, just like with, you know, communism. Like you had some legitimate concerns, but then they become politicized. It becomes a dogma, and then people get sick of it, and they throw throw everything out of the window. And it's very difficult, you know, because we are humans. We cannot get some middle ground. We always run from one extreme to another. And uh, you know, just like today, we live in the times of this social bubbles on social media, and nobody talks to the others. And I don't know where this this will lead to. But yes, there are real environmental concerns. But definitely, these real concerns have been somewhat overshadowed by climate issue. If you look at the website of Greenpeace or other movements, so 70% of that is carbon, carbon, carbon. You should buy carbon from the products. So it looks more like some marketing campaign of some green companies. And these real problems are sort of set aside because they do not have a real political support. Nobody will subsidize this very much. It's not sexy these days. So it has been replaced with this unified political support for decarbonization. And the things that we used to consider is it as true environmentalism have been sort of set aside. And that is not good, definitely. Uh, even in the climate change issue, the realistic solutions that would help mitigate the immediate uh, impacts of formal climate, they are ignored. I will give you an example, right? In Prague, there have been uh, when there were some uh, heat waves in summer. So, some policymakers started talking. We need to make streets greener. If there are trees, there is shade. It's nicer. The urban heat island effect. It's smaller. It will be. It will be great. Let's build. Let's make more trees there. And people need to have air conditioning in public spaces like hospitals and. And, and bus stations and trams so so that they, they don't suffocate from heat when there is hot summer. And it's not happening then. When the heat wave goes away, people remember they don't remember about these things. Uh, nobody does any of these things, even though they would have immediate effect, very visible the very next summer. And instead, they keep yapping about the need to lower carbon emissions essentially later with a tiny little, tiny invisible impact anywhere. So this symbolic hunt for carbon business is more important to them than easy, tangible, and doable things that you could do right now. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, going back to animals, we should protect our animals because I would still like to keep eating real hamburgers and not Klaus Schwab's uh, <laughs> yeah. insect protein bug bug burgers. Um, is, is there any other issue? Uh, I mean, your but your book goes through uh, a, a host of of issues. Um, is there anything uh, else that you thought uh, is important to to raise or, or or bring up? As far as animals are concerned, uh, well. Of course, what seems to be a bit ridiculous when you speak about beef. So, of course, there are these ridiculous uh, policies to lower lower greenhouse emissions from livestock. 
which means that cows shouldn't burp and fart so much. And they are investing money to research how to change the composition of fodder of these animals. What is the point? It is contradictory because on one hand, we are told that fossil fuels, like human emissions, are worse than natural emissions of carbon because it is something added extra to the system from underground. Okay? Our emissions are extra over the natural cycle of carbon. And now suddenly it doesn't matter. Now suddenly we are going to fight against the natural cycle because the car is the cow doesn't eat coal. Cows doesn't drink oil, as far as I have seen so far. I may be wrong. They eat grass. It's natural. It's totally bio-organic. You know, it's nature. And it's a cycle when the cow eats the grass, it will emit these gases. They will decompose in the atmosphere within a few years. And the resulting carbon and oxygen and hydrogen will be reintegrated into new grass. So it's a new cycle. Nothing new is added to the system. So why the hell should we combat it? It doesn't make sense. With one exception. Another excuse for making business. That's all. But Many of the weird things can be explained if you just look at the human factor of the people who are who are doing it, but it doesn't really make sense. And speaking of combat, how do we fight back against? Your, uh, how do we? If, if I can, yeah. if I can interrupt you, because uh, you reminded me of of the natives in Africa, you know, who are uh, evicted from their ancestral land because they are not green enough. This is the same absurdity. So cows do not, animals do, long, do not belong into nature, according to environmentalists. Uh, also, the uh, people from the, the Khoisan people from Kalahari Desert do not belong to nature, according to the environmentalists, because, you know, we, the white people of Europe, are coming to Africa to teach the natives how to treat nature. And if they don't obey us, they will be evicted from the nature in which they have been living for thousands of years is the same crazy logic. How do we combat this crazy climate change-ism, this, this climate cult? Uh, how do we fight back against this uh, narrative? <laughs> uh, I really lo I love these questions. Let us please tell us the final answer to the ultimate question of life, space, and universe and everything in one in one sentence. I really don't know. Uh, you know, I'm afraid humans are not as smart as they think. Myself, it's silly as, as just as the other animals. So if you cannot just think that uh, rationality will prevail. Uh, but the, the, the good thing is that uh, these uh, policies that do not work, they undermine themselves over time. You do not need to undermine them. And you, as a normal average Joe, cannot undermine them. You just can't, you know, you just have to wait till they kill themselves with their stupidity. Because, you know, some of the things are smart, how they can grab power and money, but they cannot govern, they cannot bring working solutions, just like with communism, it undermined itself because it didn't work. 
they didn't understand how society works and these people do not understand how nature works and it, it is undermining itself right now in front of our eyes one example is germany who was very ambitious with the green energies and at the same time they switch off their nuclear power leaving themselves in the dark how silly is that you know it can it will necessarily affect them as well as whole europe by the way making us vulnerable to imports from russia and, and other countries you know uh, instead of uh, looking for developing our old fossil fuel fields somewhere in the northern europe in the arctic uh, by the way uh, a little bit changing the subject i'm sorry for that but few people know that fossil fuel companies started to be involved in the climate change debate in 1970s and they were not on the side of climate deniers they were sponsoring the official government climate change research in 1970s they sponsored uh, the key like uh, the the climate change institute in the university of east anglia where later climate gate started they were founding it with their money because they wondered if warming perhaps might become oil fields accessible in the arctic when it melts so you could access the natural resource for mining there it was their motivation why they started to to be interested in this uh, in this matter so it's not true that they uh, started as climate change deniers worried about their profits exact opposite is true right mm -hmm. yeah that's uh fascinating um do you have any then uh, any final thought for us or just uh you know get the book a guide to the climate apocalypse yeah it's like i would like people to read the book to make them sleep better so if you wondering whether apocalypse is coming or whether you could just calm down so you should read it in the interest of your mental health and calm down and see that maybe the world is not as bleak as you might think judging from the news and if the book makes you sleep better i will be more than happy yeah i i i feel more relaxed as well after <laughs> reading reading the book and i saw you are a fan of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and i see i think you that's where you got a bit of your title a guide to the yeah yeah sort of yeah well uh it's been uh great uh chatting with you again i urge everyone uh, i actually got the digital uh book because i didn't think this book would uh the physical would arrive in time so i bought your book <laughs> twice uh but again i urge everyone to go uh, go out uh, and check out the book and thank you for being on geopolitics and empire thanks very much for invitation is it has been very pleasant talk I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. 
The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.